And we're live. Welcome to another week of the Questioning Commission. As always, my name is Chase. It's a Sunday, another good day to be alive. My name is Gwenzo. We are back to do do best. It's been a bit sticky, you know, a lot of moving parts. I've moved, so we couldn't record the previous week. Apologies about that. Chase is busy with school, preparing his own things on that particular end as well. So we apologize for the patchy in manner in which we are coming at, but then we promise as like as soon as everything settles down, settles down We'll be good to go then we'll be just uploading a bit more but stay tuned we're going to be uploading as frequently as possible probably every second week for now should there be any changes we'll let you know in time and then we'll see what it gives you good to go chase no man uh, i am and you know today is monumental in the mm. sense that this is our first uh face-to-face pod yeah cast, our first real live podcast <laughs> yeah 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 for the first time in the same venue at the same well at the same time obviously as always but then it's our first recording in the same venue which i think will probably make things much smoother there'll be probably be less breaks in between like any signal problems won't be there today we are recording live as we said so i think let's cut this out and just hit the ground running yeah yeah 100%. so I'll, I'll go first with my news stories for the week and then i'll give you a chance afterwards to present what has stood out for you, you know? So, as always, news stories, things that stood out for us during the week, there might be some that stood out for you as well that we missed. If so, let us know, Twitter, Instagram, email. But I think the most, or probably the biggest story of the week in South Africa was the laying to rest of the Zulu King, Goodwill's Willitini. He was laid to rest during the week, I think on Wednesday, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken. He was laid to rest, and then on Thursday, there was a memorial service which you know a number of people attended from people from abroad to our own government dignitaries and stuff like that so it was quite interesting to see that because at some point escom did suspend load shading for about two hours two to four hours i think somewhere there so people could watch the service and stuff like that so interesting stuff and yeah may soul rest in peace and let's see who takes over let's see if it's going to be a smooth transition of power from one generation to the next or will there be some problems in between and then let's move on to some concerning news as far as COVID goes because our cases are on the rise most experts say that we are on the brink of a third wave which is quite concerning because our rate of you know vaccination is quite slim or if in if existence at all we're talking about 6,000 jabs a day, <laughs> which is quite a joke to me, mm. right? And it's concerning because within this very week, France did put Paris back in lockdown, and you know that France is first world to third world. Mm. So most likely, we will see, you know, a tightening of restrictions in terms of how we do things as a country in terms of lockdown. So I'd, I'd say prepare now, prepare financially, emotionally, and in other ways as well. But I don't think we'd go back to a case where it's like a level five kind of lockdown. We might see maybe a level two with probably you no know, tighter restrictions as well. So on that note of COVID-19 vaccinations and lockdowns, South Africa did receive about another 66,000 doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, which arrived from Switzerland. Yeah, it came in from Switzerland this morning or last night, somewhere between that period. 66,000 doses. And that means we've done, we have somewhere in the region of over just 200,000 doses that we have received and administered so far. Because as I read this morning, this Sunday morning, we've just done over 182,000 vaccines so far. 
So this takes us to about 240,000 vaccines as it stands. And then what else was in the news? The Olympics. The Olympics are coming up in, I don't, I'm not sure when. I'm not sure if they released a new date as of yet. But the interesting point is if you'd like to attend the Olympics this year, you can't because the Japanese government is not allowing any external spectators to come to the Olympics. So they're only allowing people from within Japan to spectate the Olympics. I think it's quite a major blow given how much it did cost the government to prepare the, for the Olympics financially, hotels, venues and stuff like that. So they'll lose out from, you know, tourist revenue and stuff like that and all those taxes that come with the Olympics. And then one more thing in closing on my end, which I think is great news for females in Africa and all the feminists at large. Tanzania has its first female president. I'll get her name now. Just give me one quick second. Her name is Samia Suhul, Suluhu Hassan. Hassan will be replacing John Magafuli, who passed away in the week. So I'm not sure if John may rest in peace. You know, people have had their complaints about him. But then nonetheless, Suluhu is in power now. Let's see how she takes up this whole presidential thing. I think she becomes only the second female president in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. So mm. I think it's, it's progress nonetheless. Maybe we're next. Who knows? I'm not sure if the NC has or would be willing to go to that extent given that there's people like Ace, there's David in power and all those things. And those guys are interested in having power themselves. So, But let's see what happens. Chase, what's on, on your mind? Um, okay, Let, let's start with COVID. You know, uh, there's a report out of the BBC News um, and it goes, rich states attempt to block vaccine plans for developing nations. Um, so wealthy countries, including the UK, are blocking proposals to help develop nations increase their vaccine manufacturing capabilities. Uh, several poorer countries have asked uh, the WHO, a World Health Organization, to help them. But richer nations are pushing back on provisions in international law that would enable them to achieve, achieve this. So the WHO is missing. missing I mean, you, um, and where we could have... Um, and you know, it, what's crazy about this is that they're not only blocking pe these developing nations from... Um, buying the thing or giving getting a slice of the pie they're also blocking them from actually manufacturing their own because it's um almost like uh because the the substance the original sub substance is patented yeah, so they yeah. they, don't, they don't have access to that um so i found that quite interesting and you know it's once again everybody trying to bully everybody you know i mean they said the uk the us and the european union are pulling this thing and i think that that should almost set about a new world order you know we have all these things BRICS. we have uh the eu we have all these various initiatives quad and stuff like that and people don't realize is that we're never going to be part of they don't want us to be part of the bigger thing you know yeah you look at the european union they're always pushing the baltic nations out the continent they don't want to accept anybody and it's very much an old boys club so you'd think that the rest of the world would say okay cool let's form a coalition to help ourselves because obviously the uk the us they don't want to help us you know yeah so I, I find that fascinating and maybe that could be the catalyst for a new world order in a sense you know a new global um thing then i'd also like to take you know you spoke about a uh, female empowerment and we have a new african female president um 
I think there's almost a tide now that we see in the world where some states are just like that's unacceptable. Well, they don't want to have rights. I mean, you saw yeah. Russia decriminalizing uh, domestic violence, which ultimately will mean that more women get abused than die. I mean, exactly. on average, 22 women are killed every day in Russia in 2018. And the problem is getting worse in the pandemic. I mean, you locked up with somebody else and mm. then, you know, I mean, you saw the... Um, you saw the the British lady that got killed and that these massive rallies in London. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's quite interesting, and you know, it's it's not a, an, a problem situ um that's, just one country. Mm. It's every country. I mean, South yeah. Africa's all we yeah. have our own share of yeah. GBV, and it's it's you know it's, you have a daughter now, and I'm pretty sure you'd you'd defend her till your last breath. And mm. the thing is, right. Where are those people like that are willing? Men need to come up and say, "Listen, we need to defend our women." You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fuck, it, it's it's a real problem, and I mean, Russia decriminalizing that is fucked but up. It makes know? no sense to me because what can you achieve from decriminalizing gender-based exactly. violence? Only just then saying it's also okay. Then just go ahead and do what you do. Mm. I mean, you saw that um, in Turkey, President. Um, Recep Erdogan um, pulled out of the European Treaty to protect women, mm-hmm. and that's led to a number of um, protests and rallies. I mean, they uh, the pledge was to prevent, prosecute, and eliminate the domestic violence and pro- promote equality. Yeah. Um, and Turkey signed on in twenty eleven after there was a rise in femicides, but now we just pulled back. Um, yeah, Turkey just continues to be the bad boy of the EU. You know, it was first whole Greek thing with mm. uh, with the oil. Now it's this whole gender thing. So, let's see if they can stay in the union for the next what five to six years. Hundred percent. And then uh, to move swiftly across, South Africa are now the most tra- restricted travelers in the world. Uh, South African travelers face major restrictions from 120 countries yeah south africa faces more travel restrictions than any other country in the world um and it just keeps growing i mean the latest data provided by the international air transport association which tracks global travel regulations in real time shows that while some countries are easing border closures travelers from south africa still face fierce sanctions uh, secondary travel bans defined as reinstated border closures announced of the after the global waning of the first wave of COVID-19 infections gathered swift momentum in December. This coincided with the emergence of a new COVID-19 variant such as the 501Y-V2, which was detected in the Eastern Cape. Um, I, you know, no, it's bullshit, to be honest. I'm waiting to fly out. And, you know, it, it just speaks to, you know, you spoke about this 6,000 jabs a day. Mm. I mean... We are being affected so badly by this thing, and all we can do is get 6,000 jabs a, a day. day. A day. He's fucking out of this world. And then, just to move swiftly across, there's an uh, article out, by, oh, out uh, by the Institute for Security Studies. Boko Haram teams up with bandits in Nigeria. Uh, when Boko Haram faction leader Abukar Shiku claimed responsibility for the de- December 2020 mass abduction of more than 300 schoolboys in uh, Kitsana State, northwest Nigeria. 
he wasn't taken seriously. He was not taken seriously, not even by the government. Um, and this despite the fact of a proof of life video. And, you know, it's you're seeing a rise in this, you know, these uh, the rise in radicalism, yeah. radicals in Africa. Um, and, you know, we've spoken about it with Don and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be the new battleground, you know. Um, so just more unstable uh, instability over there. Yeah, man, that's that's all for me um, in terms of what stood out for you in the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but besides all those stories, you know, the king being laid to rest, Boko Haram in Nigeria, Turkey pulling out, you know, the 6,000 jobs a day and all these other problems, there was quite some something that stood out, something, you know, I'd say quite profound in terms of world power, world politics and stuff like that. And I think it's something that has relevance for all countries, all humans on earth as far as this goes because it speaks to the two strongest nations in the world, the US and, and China. So the two countries had a meeting this week and it was to try and hopefully ease out and smooth out, you know, the tensions between the two countries. But then we all know that it's been about, about two and a half years of Trump being, you know, very hostile towards China and China responding accordingly as well. So as it stands, you know, the tensions between the two countries are quite high. Things are not really going well. And it has you no, know, it has had negative effects for most countries that are not really involved directly in this spat between the two countries. You know, it has trade implications for South Africa. We've seen Australia being involved in some way, shape, or form, whereby China has been an economical. And we've seen China banning some of the Australian products, about three billion dollars worth of products. So we did see then this week, you know, this meeting between China and the U.S. and as expected, I think as expected, I should say, things didn't go really well. There were, you know, tempers flaring, the tensions were high. And as it stands, it's not quite clear what the way forward is between these two, you know, two powerful nations. So, you know, the US came out and it did as it always does, you know, playing the ever so righteous card, you know, they, they can't put a foot wrong. And they did, you know, confront China on a number of problems, including, you know, the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, the issue of Hong Kong and democracy. They did also speak about Taiwan. They did, you know how China is trying to take over Taiwan and actually make Taiwan part of, you know, China. They always call it the one China policy, as they say. Mm. And most countries tend to adhere to that policy. And that's why you see Taiwan being excluded from the WHO and many other international organizations as well for that particular reason. And that's why we have COVID in itself because Taiwan did try to alert the world about mm. COVID, but then because they were excluded, they weren't taken note of. So that was also addressed as well. They also did speak about cyber attacks on on the US, Chinese Chinese troops atta attacking, you know, the US. They also did speak about economic coercion on US allies as well, i.e. in this case particularly, I think that would be a reference to Australia. But then China did also head back as well, you know, with their own kind of rhetoric towards the US speaking about how the U.S. has its own problems in terms of its democracy and those problems it's facing doesn't give it, it's all like, takes back the rights from the U.S. that allows it to actually, you know, butt into the issues of other nations as well. They also did speak about how the U.S. imposes itself on other nations as well and uses its power to try and, and coerce those nations into doing what the U.S. wants and 
doing things in that favor the U.S. So China also did mention make mention of of the sanctions that the U.S. has imposed on Chinese products and stuff like that. So there's quite a number of moving parts, and we thought that we could just actually build up on this because, as I said earlier on, both countries seem to be playing the the tough card mm-hmm. on each other. So it doesn't seem like there's a clear way forward because you know she has his own thing going on, Biden has his own thing going on. Okay, besides falling off, you know, a flight of stairs, he has time to presidents <laughs> as well. But I just want us to just kind of look at this and then see what could potentially come of it going forward because this meeting was was primarily between you know the diplomats of the two countries. So mm. it does look like going forward there might be a meeting between the presidents of the two of the two nations because there was a call between president biden and president xi at one point and it didn't go well as well because you know biden spoke about taiwan xinjiang as well and she wasn't happy about that she spoke about the bans the tariffs and stuff like that so there's quite a number of moving parts but just just try to develop a, a manner in which we can move forward and then see what we can make of this because not to say that you know you you can't call out china on on you know the forced forced labor of the Uyghur Muslims, you know, the issue of Taiwan, the issue of Hong Kong, they have to be called out, but then you have to also remember that the US is not always right. Mm. They have their own problems as well. Yeah. You know, from how they've acted in the Middle East to Central Africa to South America and all those other problems as well. So we're gonna just try and look at not only the issue of China and the US, but also gonna try and look at how the position of the U.S. in the world, because we've seen more countries starting to call out the U.S. Mm. and how it does things as well. I remember at one point, I think this was in 2016 or 17, where South Africa wanted to take on the U.S. militarily, a bad idea. But that happened as well. Mm. So that, that also shows that, you know, there's this unhappiness about the U.S. and how it does things generally across the board. So let's just try to work around that notion of the position of the U.S. and how it does things around the world. No, 100%. You know, the thing that that's brought the u.s to the place that they are currently now is the two decades of war right and also the the relations under trump you know yeah and i think now they're trying to play catch up they've they've regressed so badly since the cold war right yeah and um they've let the two years in the desert uh, their two decades in the desert has distracted them from Russia and China coming up now, right? Yeah, yeah. And now they're trying to play catch up, and it's I think the holier than thou attitude is coming back to bite them. You know, um, they. I mean, if you look at the summit that you were talking about, uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken spoke of deep concern that he picked about China's behavior during a tour of Asia. And condemned China for breaking the rules, um, and he called them an authoritarian state rule. And then the guy was like, "Well, is that the way you want to conduct this dialogue?" Um, I think we thought to wallow the the U.S. Um, and the key, the U.S. Uh, called China uh, called out China and saying that they were grandstanding and focused on public theatrics, dramatics over substance. Yeah. Um, but it, China wants Taiwan. You know, and they want to claim territorial, uh, they want territorial claims in the South China Sea. Yeah. But I mean, if you look who's in the South China Sea, the USA. Yeah, yeah. 
So why should there only be one superpower, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is all about money. Yeah. All this grandstanding and the USA coming down on them. The USA wants to make money again because of all the money they've lost in the desert. Mm. You know? Um, Someone has to pay. Somebody has to pay and that's the problem. The USA has a military militarized economy. Yeah, you know? very much. And they need the concept of the enemy is important to the U- USA system, you know, yeah. for the, the US psyche, right? Yeah. They need an enemy, right? So you look at it, World War 1, it was the Germans, right? And they as soon as World War 1 was done, uh, World War 2 was done, they turned on their allies. Russia mm. was the enemy. Yeah. Right? As soon as uh the Cold War. as soon as the Cold War died, then it was Iraq. Iraqs were, Iraqis were the enemy. As soon as that was done, Afghanis were the en- exactly. enemy. Exactly. As soon as they were done, it was the Iranians that were the enemy. There was North Korea. Then it's back to Iran. You know, they need an enemy to keep it going because that's what the economy is about. And then you see that Biden's attacking both Xi and and Putin, right? Um, calling them out. Um, they called Russian um, Russian President uh, Putin a killer. Um, and this this quite spiced it up quite a bit because a Russian ex-president mocked Biden's age. Um, so uh, the Biden agreed with ABC's George uh, Stan Fobulus this week that Putin was a killer and an extraordinary breach of protocol given that Russia remains a proud world power. He also warned that the Russian leader would pay a price. After US intelligence intelligence agencies concluded this week that he oversaw an effort to help Trump and harm Biden in twenty twenty. While the menacing ambiguity of a mafiosi mafiosi, Putin wished Biden good health in response and challenged <laughs> him to test his faculties in an online debate. In case anyone missed the point, former Russian president Dmitry Medev once seen as a great hope for a great hope of reset, US, um, U.S. Russia ties in the Obama era responded with a direct insult, referring to Biden's age as the oldest American president. It seems that time hasn't been kind to him. I can only quote Freud: "Nothing in life is more expensive than illness and stupidity," made of said. And I think Biden is biting off more than he can choose. You know. Um, I think the great fault with the Nazis was that they lost, they only lost because they decided to fight war on three fronts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's picking a fight with Russia. He's picking a fight with China. You got North Korea, North Korea, Iran, Syria, and they're still in the Middle East, man. It's it's, it's too much. It's too much for one nation to handle. You can't fight war on so many fronts and expect to still win. On those fronts as well, because you, you can't fight war, and also to expect and expect yourself to create diplomatic relations within those regions as well. Because if you're fighting my neighbor, most likely I'll be angry about that. You know, mm. it's it's my neighbor. It's it's the guy next door. You know, we have we share a border. Our our cultures are more or less the same and stuff like that. So you can't fight my neighbor, and then try to make peace with me as well. So that obviously you know be be unhappiness and and stuff like that. You know, so. It's interesting to see. So yeah, as I was saying, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to see this whole you know, U.S. approach to how they do things, 
across the world you know they in some parts they're friends in some parts they're enemies but then forget they, they tend to forget that some nations trade with each other mm. besides yeah. having the u.s involved so that can cause you know a bit of trickery and a bit of problems in between and then because if let's take australia australia will trade with the u.s and it'll trade with china so if you're fighting china and you want to trade with, with australia as well so now there's a bit of a dichotomy in that relationship because now how does australia navigate between how it does things with china and the u.s because now the u.s will tend to say if you tend to, if you trade with country x they will, will impose sanctions on you and stuff mm. like that but then now you need to trade with country x because they constitute a big market of your of your imports and stuff like that. But that you spoke, you touched the the nail on the head, right? The head on the nail. Um, Australia chose the US, eh? and now they're suffering greatly because exactly. China won't export to them, and the, the exports are suffering, right? And yeah. they um, they decided to pledge two hundred thirty billion over the next, I think it's five years. To increase their military because they feel unsafe, right? Exactly. Because they are in the sea, uh, they're quite close to yeah, Asia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, directly under right? China. And um, I think that kind of sways the whole balance, you know. Yeah. Um, but just to go back a second, you know, I I don't think you know that Biden thought this out, you know, given his mental a health and his age, you know. <laughs> you look at it, right? He um. You know, there was those accusations um, and when he came up that um, his son was um, involved in Ukraine, you know? Yeah, yeah, and China as well. Ukraine and China, right? And you see, I think that they could dig up dirt on him. He's not, he's, you know, he's been in their political circles. His mm. son might have been in a pedophile ring, according to a mm. laptop I discovered. I mean... I think he needs to be clever, especially with China and Russia. They both have strong um, cyber uh, capabilities. Cy- yeah. Cyber capabilities. So I think that's quite interesting. I mean, you look at Russia's SVR spy foreign spy agency, um, and it's massive. And Vasolo wins hack on the U.S. private companies and several top government departments. I mean. Russia is out there poisoning people and stuff like that. You know and. This is not to say that, you know, I strongly believe, I mean, I've been going down a rabbit hole of CIA, ground branch, and so forth and so forth. They definitely do that. I mean, they're the ones that killed Che Guava. There's a number of assassinations by the CIA and so forth and so forth. I know assassinations are illegal. Yeah. But, um, not unless yeah. if it's the US, then they're absolutely fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, it, it's interesting to see... Um, it's like, you know, if I punch you and then um, I'm like, and then you retaliate. I'm like, but why'd you punch me? And yeah. I feel like that that's the US kind of summed up. And I think it's not going to get resolved because both China's not going to back down from the South China Sea. Obviously. And Biden can't be seen as weak. Yeah. Right. So you, you who's going to, who's got to give, right? Yeah. And you look at it, I, in my mind, right. I see if if the U.S. keeps pushing China, I feel like Russia and China are going to connect because they already are buddy buddy. Um, when they try to uh, impose sanctions, or when the UN tried to impose sanctions on Myanmar, they were buddy buddy. No, we can't impose sanctions on them. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I think it keeps pushing, right? And I see, you see that Germany's already had it with the US's double standards when it comes to Nord Stream. Yeah. You know, it's almost like nobody else can make money but the US. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think in what you just said, I just like actually raised a good point in saying that, you know, Russia and China might end up interlinking as well. And if you look at this, Joe seems to be pushing Iran out. I know that Trump did quite a job in like pushing the US out of most countries and creating like bad relations between the US and most countries. But then Joe is taking this to the next level. In the first what the first week of him being in power, he he blocked that that pipe stream that runs from Canada to the US. It costs mm. about eleven thousand jobs. Yeah, yeah. We spoke about this previously on this exact podcast as well. So there's quite a number of problems that seem to be you know, boiling up and coming up for the US, you know, from what Trump has done, some good, some bad, obviously, and then to what Joe is doing now, because now the problem is, right, it's, the problem is, is twofold, right? One, China has dirt on him and his son, right? Because mm-hmm. we're involved in China and the Ukraine, as you said, mm-hmm. right? That's the first part of, of the problem. But now the second part is, right, this whole stance, this whole stance against, against China is being backed by both Democrats and Republicans. Mm. So any move that might be seen as, you know, being China friendly is going to be, you know, not in favor of Joe, that's for sure. It's going to be unfavorable towards Joe's ambitions of staying in power for as long as possible. So now he has this problem of trying to, you know, walk this fine line between mm. keeping the Democrats and Republicans happy and the US population generally happy and the allies as well. Mm. And above that, you also have to try and then balance things out of China. So now he's in this rock and hard place kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. You look at the US Japan joint uh, statement, right? Yeah. And it's the Biden administration trying to create a united front of allies to counter China's economic, strategic, and military power as a means to like force Beijing to accept international rules. But like um, Xi came out and said, the international community community will have a fair judgment on who is the biggest threat to the world peace. I mean, you look at one lesson of foreign policy in recent, of US foreign policy in recent decades, is that plans hatched out in Washington often, often don't survive contact with the outside world. Exactly. So, I mean, you look, Biden's plan comes with a risk. I mean, a more assertive US pro- approach could play into Xi's nationalistic worldview. Mm. And if, uh, if events in Alaska are any guide, uh, as oh, it has already caused Beijing to be even more aggressive. I mean, a tense overall re- relationship could scupper U.S. hopes into forge agreements with China with China on combating climate change at a global summit in Scotland. And also, I mean, there's no certainty that the U.S. allies will buy into Biden's strategy. I mean, Asian nations must live with the reality of China's growing power in their own strategic neighborhoods. I mean, that the U.S. attention span uh, of the various pivots towards and away from Asia in recent, in recent decades. And it's far from clear that the European Union wants to pick between US and China. I mean, yeah. And that's the thing, right? That pivoting of the US, right? They really don't have the attention span. I mean, I just read this book. Uh, it's called American Sparta. Spartan. It's about this Green Beret, Jim Gant, right? So he decided that he, he was going, he wrote this plan and general petraeus took it up and it's like this is a great plan so he went and he lived with the afghani tribal leaders right yeah. and he started forming coalition and everything and everybody supported him yeah and then they just cut funding 
and he was left out there in all the by his own. In the middle of it. He couldn't support the troops he had promised. And these people risked their lives. They're like, okay, you want us to fight? You're going to support us? We'll fight for you? And yeah. then the weapons and bullets ran out. And the U.S. government wouldn't. And they're all fucked. And the U.S. The government doesn't care about the consequences or who it props up. They're just yeah. pawns, you know? And yeah. that's the problem. Why would you want to buy into that? I mean, they're, very, they're cutting funding everywhere in the Middle East, right? Exactly. In their wars. Yeah. Right? They're fighting in North Korea. Uh, in um, the Horn of Africa, you know, yeah. they keep going and they keep pushing, right? So the the problem that I would say is that they really don't have the tension span to keep going with that, you know. Yeah, and and you, you could say maybe that's probably the prop the problem with democracy that you know Trump comes in, he pulls out of of most nations, most wars, wars they're fighting, they pull out. And then Biden comes back or comes in and says, you know, let's send our troops back, then whatever the case might be. So there's always these problems of how do you balance, you know, your policies throughout, you know, the different administrations because, you know, this president wants to do this. The next guy comes in and he wants to do that as well. So it's it's always problematic and then it leads to a number of problems as well, right? And then you just see this, these problems spilling over. And that's why then you find that countries like China countries like russia would start to gain the upper hand because with them the same guys in power for 20 odd years you know mm. and then you can just use the same policies the same thought processes and then just drive whatever vision they have for the nation in the region or internationally as well and that's why then we've also been able to see you know the rise of, of russia and china as you said rightfully so early on that while the US was busy running around in you know the deserts and in central africa and whatever the case was the Russians, the Chinese, they were gaining ground on the on, on the US. And now you see that, you know, they exert quite a lot of power on, on most nations. And I think the, the problem here is, right, it's it's not just a matter of the Russians gained ground on the US or the, the point that the Chinese gained ground on the US. The problem here really is the Chinese gained ground using finances. Mm. They gave most countries finances, you know, to finance infrastructure, to finance health, to finance manufacturing, economic growth, and all these other things. So, in a sense, to put it loosely, most countries owe China. Russia mm. has supported most countries in, in, in some ways, and those countries owe Russia as well. So, you know, it's it's all these things. And it also points to why then, you know, we saw recently China became the biggest trading partner of, of the EU, mm. which for the first time they overtook the US. Mm. So all these things point then to, you know, to to how the U.S. is slowly losing ground. And then it also goes back to the point you're trying to make about the summit between the U.S. and, and China. And it takes me back to the point you are you're, you, you're making right now, right, about the German industrialists being adamant in their support for the pipeline while the U.S. objects the pipeline, right? Mm. It, this happened while Trump was in power. Trump objected the... Russian pipeline that ran into Germany, I believe, yeah, yeah. and to most of Europe as well. He objected that, but then in the same breath, he was bringing in oil from Canada into the US, mm. right? And then Biden comes in and says, we don't want Canadian oil. And then above that, he says, we won't. We, all, we also continue to object the, the Russian pipeline that mm. runs in Europe. So now you have a problem whereby you are saying, you're not giving us oil. We shouldn't take oil from Russia, then who must give us oil? Then? Yeah, yeah. It creates a vacuum. And mm. then you can find that other countries 
either Russia, countries from the Middle East, or China can step in and try to plug and plug that particular vacuum that, that is created within that particular space. And then now the problem is, we, we saw this in Texas as well, whereby this whole push you know, for green energy without being really conscious of what's actually happening with the national grid can lead to problems. Mm. Case in point, Texas. And then now, you know, this whole green talk and stuff like that, trying to appease his constituencies in the US, we'll see the US continue to, to lose ground on, on China and Russia as well. But that's the thing, right? I mean, you just summed it up perfectly, right? So if your neighbor right, is producing oil, right? right? Maybe, let's say, f- for the example, 50 kilometers away, right? Yeah. But you decide to go get oil at 350 kilometers away. I mean, the whole point of a business is to run it more efficiently. Yeah. So that travel cost, just getting it from 350 kilometers away <laughs> is fucking crazy. I mean, it'd be so easy to build a pipeline from Canada to the USA. There'd exactly. be no regulations. There would be no fuss, nothing like that. Exactly. No fuss, no mass, right? So my thing is, this is clearly not a geopolitical thing. This is a money issue, right? Yeah. Right? And they summed it up. This is um, basically um, German industrialists have been adamant that the U.S. objections to Nord Stream reflect American business interest and there's no geopolitical fear that Europe could become over-reliant on Russia for energy. Mm. And the thing is, right, despite how big Russia is, the economy is weak. Super weak. Exactly. Right? So if you tell me that America is scared of Russia economically, then maybe... It makes no sense. Maybe in the USA shouldn't be a national power in... If they're scared of, I mean, I understand being scared of China as economic yeah. power, right? That's where your efforts need to be. But if you look as at Russia as economic power, then you are fucking mad. Because, look, you Germany is clear. Germany is in charge of the EU, whether you like it or not, right? I mean, number one. Uh, the, the number one economic power is United States, and then Russia's at number eleven. Exactly right. I mean, number two is China, three is Japan, four is Germany, five is India, six is United Kingdom, France, Italy, Brazil, Canada, and then Russia. <laughs> I, I really don't understand uh, why they would get scared of this. And that's the thing, right? We know that Germany's in charge of the EU. Right. And I think to piss them off even more, they're your allies. You keep going to war, right? You keep trying to push the China agenda, right? Yeah. You're going to need your allies. So it's almost like a give and take. Okay, cool. Give them the pipeline, right? Yeah. Then maybe they'll support me with my China thing. But like I said, it goes back to the point. They like fighting on all fronts. Exactly. I mean, the pipeline is so close to completion, right? And there haven't been any um, sanctions, right? Um, and everybody's speaking about Ukraine being uh, exploited, right? But Germany has said, listen, yeah, we'll give them um, green hydrogen as a means to boost their eco- economic economy. Yeah. Uh, Merkel came out and said that. But I mean, you get uh, some Republican senators such as uh, Ted Cruz have been threatening to disrupt Dominations for key administration posts unless the Biden team t- toughens up its stance on um, Nord Stream. 
obviously Ted Cruz is in he's losing money somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Um and there haven't been any sanctions, right? Uh, towards these people and it's almost as if the by choosing not to apply US sanctions, um the numerous vessels and companies are openly engaging in pipeline uh laying, which amounts to a policy of protecting Russia's Nord Stream two pipeline. Yeah. So I mean I think they're playing it they're playing a tough stance for the media, but behind the scenes they're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and that's where the problem is, right? This is not just a matter of geopolitics or just a matter of oil, like just oil as a substance. But as you said, rightfully, it's a matter of money and jobs as well, inadvertently as jobs as well. Because now the thing is, right, let's take the U.S. pipeline, the pipeline that runs from Canada to the U.S., which was blocked when Biden came into power. Yeah. It cost about 11,000 jobs on the spot, just like that. Within a day, some 11,000 people lost their jobs mm. in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. right? In the middle of a pandemic, people are losing jobs at that particular rate, right? And then you move to Europe and say Russia cannot, you know, move the, the oil from from their own country into Europe as well. A problem as well, because now you're going to move money where? To the Middle East, to OPEC countries. And then remember those countries, most of them are not, you know, countries that are really friendly towards the U.S., so again, then you are looking to, in a sense, to strengthen your enemies, in a sense, in that particular sense, because now people in the U.S. are, are losing jobs. So that means hungry families, less tax for the government. And then, you know, you move to Europe and say the same thing as well. So all that money now then moves to the Middle East. And then as time goes by, you might see then, you know, more problems. The U.S. having to like then go back to the Middle East and then participate again there and then try to make things work on that particular end. So... I, I think in, in part it's a losing game for the US and I think the decisions that were largely made by by Trump, some were good to be honest, some were really good, but some were some were extremely bad and then I think at that point in time most of us failed to see the possible ramifications of the, those decisions and then now with, with Joe in power and his kind of opposite approach to, to how Trump does things is start of is starting to illuminate mm. all these problems we are seeing here. So it's it's an interesting time because we've seen how, you know, the US as we said, they are fighting physical wars on the ground with the with their boots on the ground. And now they're also going into financial wars as well with China and stuff like that. And then the whole US thing. And the mm. whole EU thing, I mean, sorry. So the whole Huawei thing, you know, that has been, you know, a point in itself whereby some countries have chosen to use Huawei, some countries have chosen not to. A number of things happening and a number of moving parts in, in, in that particular end as well, or on that particular end as well. And then it just takes me back to the summit itself, where, you know, which is kind of our foundation that we're working on today. And if you look at this, right, so this is from France 24. On the eve of the talk, the United States issued a flurry of actions directed at China, including a move to begin revoking Chinese telecom licenses, subpoenas to multiple Chinese information technology companies over national security concerns, and updated sanctions on China over rollback of democracy in Hong Kong. So all these things, right, you're trying to fight for Hong Kong, you're fighting for Taiwan, you're fighting for the Muslims, you're fighting wars in Africa... 
but who's paying the tax? Who's funding all these wars, right? Because if you look at China, they're playing a bit smart, right? Mm. They choose to invest the money, you know, give the money to African countries, to Asian countries, South American countries, Eastern European countries who need money for infrastructure. And that money, when it comes back, it has interest. Which or they means, take a port. Exactly. Or they take a port, e.g. Sri Lanka, right? Which means that China has enough money to grow the military. I think they have the biggest navy in the world now. They have enough money to grow their cyber army, mm. right? So while you're spending money with no interest coming back, mm. China is spending money and has interest coming back to the country. But that's why China is so attractive to African nations because they offer better investment rates and are more willing. Like, yeah. for example, we in class this week, we were speaking about geopolitics and how um, China isn't, is very wary to use their military. Right? Yeah, yeah. They're very so when debts aren't paid, right? Yeah. And people refuse to give up collateral, then they they say, okay, you're gonna extend your thing. They're willing to extend. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think that happened in Kenya, and um, I think it was Nigeria. If I'm, I might be mistaken, Nigeria, yeah. right? And they were like, so they were on on a five year term deal and then they were like listen we don't have the money for it and they were like we're gonna have to take a collateral and then china was like uh kenya and both kenya and nigeria were like no you can't take a collateral and they're like we might have to use military they were like we have nothing to lose and they were like okay it's fine Look, yeah here's another 10-year deal very interest rate so they aren't willing and you don't see that with the u.s exactly if there's a loan they're like coming for it you know yeah and that's what makes them so attractive and i think it's also got to do with the tone that the u.s kind of pulls right exactly. they want to be this bully exactly. and sometimes it's better to have a softer hand exactly exactly, right? exactly. and you see like it goes back to we spoke about the european union and everybody going against china right yeah and all this hate and this rhetoric you know fuels this natu- nationalistic view that China is trying to perpetuate, that the U.S. Tra- is trying to create the hegemony, you know? Yeah, right? yeah. And it just fuels that. I mean, there's an article out of Bloomberg where China warns European haters over human rights sanctions. The China warned the European Union not to interfere in international security affairs, saying any sanctions over human rights abuses based on lies could feel confrontation. I'm deeply concerned about possible sanctions, China's ambassador to the EU, Zhang Ming, said during a European Policy Center event on Tuesday. If some, if some insist on confrontation, we will not back down. The EU is preparing a slate of measures over alleged human rights abuses that could include sanctions on China, Chinese officials and entities, according to three people familiar with the preparations. The action would be related to Beijing's alleged treatment of its Muslim minority in the northwest region of Xinjiang. China has de- uh, denied that any personal re- freedoms have been restricted and has touted the benefits of the people living in the re- regions. Yeah. Right? And um, it's, it seems that not everybody wants to see a peaceful Xinjiang, Zhang said. China haters don't. Right? And I feel like there's a lot of China haters. Yeah. You're right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that China is innocent. I really am not. Yeah. But yeah. it's almost, it's refreshing, right, that we have somebody challenging the thing. The US. The US. And the EU as well. And they don't like that. Exactly. And the, you could say that this is what this is all about. Right? Yeah. Um, I 
the the problem that I have with this is that there are too many fronts fighting, right? Yeah. You're not you. The pieces aren't clear. Who wants to play? Because you have China and India being hating one another in one thing. Yeah. And then their best buddies in BRICS. Exactly. Exactly. You have Russia and China agreeing on uh, Myanmar, but then they're hating each other on something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If everybody could just fucking unify for once, then <laughs> there'd be a clear set of who who's who against who. Yeah. Yeah. But you see now that's that's the thing, right? Because they have to try and walk this fine line of national interest, and sometimes I think it's not even national interest; it's just the interest of one man, the man in power, against you know economic interest because now they have a population to feed as well. Mm. So you can't just go out and do as you please on the world stage because it might come back to haunt you, right? Mm. And once your population stands against you, then, you know, quickly you'll find yourself, you know, out of power. So it's it's quite a number of moving parts. And I think at the end of the day, the people who suffer are the, are the ordinary people. You know, mm. the people like you and I, you know, the guys just living their lives normally as any person would. Because as I said, right, earlier on, I spoke about how the U.S. is looking to revoke some Chinese you know, licenses for Chinese telecom companies, subpoenas and stuff like that. And then in the same breath, in that in the very week, China started the trial for, mm. who are these guys? Michael Spavik and Michael Kovrig. These are two Canadian nationals that have been in, arrested in China since 2018 mm. when the CEO of Huawei was arrested, right? And now you can see all these moving parts whereby now, the U.S. is is coming for Huawei and other Chinese companies. You know, Tencent. They're coming for they're coming for TikTok. Yeah, they're coming yeah. for ZTE. China China is coming for U.S. citizens. They're coming for other U.S. brands as well. And you can see now what was once a political, you know, fight a political war, is now starting to affect the lives of ordinary people. Yeah, it's starting to go into private business. Which goes into, I believe, what you want to say right now. Exactly. It's a tit for tat, you know. Yeah. The USA bans TikTok. Okay, cool. All right. They ban UI. Okay, China's going to be like, you know what? We ban Tesla. Exactly. And I think what we fail to recognize, right? iPhone may be an American company, right? It mm. may be an American company. Mm. But where is it made? Exactly. But where exactly. is it made? In China, you know? Exactly. All these products, where is it made? Yeah. It's the factor of the world. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If you look around your office now, yeah, I'm pretty sure 85% of the shit that's in your office yeah. right now it's, is China-made. Yeah. The mouse that you're using, the mic that we're using. The laptops we're using. Everything is China-made, right? Yeah. So how do you bite the hand that feeds you? Exactly. I mean, the, chi- the USA keeps complaining that they're stealing the intellectual property, right? Fair. Right, fair. But I mean, you outsourced all your production to them. Exactly, and and that's the thing right there, right? You might have the intellectual property, but you have the manufacturing capacity. That's exactly. the question. You every everybody decided around the world this year we're gonna cancel our factories. Everything's going to China, right? Yeah. And COVID nineteen was the only time that everybody realized, fuck, we can't produce our own medicine. We can't produce everything. Clothes, food, etc. Because everything is in China. Yeah. Right. We. We a product of our circumstances, right? Mm. We put ourselves in this position, and now you want to say, "Oh, now we need to challenge Chinese hegemony." You put yourself in that position, exactly, right? And you allow them to be underhanded, but also at the same time, I'm pretty sure you are. I mean, you look at after World War Two, right? 
China, uh, both America and Russia, went and found all the Nazi scientists and brought them back. Yeah. I mean, NASA was founded by Nazis. Yeah. Right? So, it's not the first time that everybody's stealing intellectual property. This has been going on since man had... From the beginning of time, really, to exactly. be quite honest. We borrow. I mean, the first caveman, you saw that there was fire. Oh, cool. I'm going to copy that. Listen, yeah, I want fire in my crib as well. You know? And it just goes and goes <laughs> and goes. Yeah, yeah. It's where we are now. Exactly. And I mean, this might be a strong tangent that we're taking. But I mean, <laughs> this expropriation movement that we're having on, you know, you can't wear, um, you know, girls can't wear the hooped earrings anymore because that's apparently Latin culture. You can't, yeah. you know, everything's like, oh, that's somebody else's country. But we all are where we are to, because we're learning from other people's things, right? Exactly. I like pizza. That's Italian food. You're saying I can't eat it because I'm not Italian. Uh, uh, uh. I mean, Chinese food is nice. We, we must... We can't have noodles anymore. Exactly. I mean, if you look at <laughs> South African cuisine, right? Mm. It's got a strong Indian flavor, Malay flavor. Yeah. I mean, we like our curries, our biryanis, so forth and so forth. It's all... It links with our history. Exactly. You know, slavery and all those transnational migration and stuff like that. And if you're going to say now, you can't wear hoop earrings, I can't wear a pair of blue jeans because they're American, I can't wear, I don't know, whatever else, because it's from another country, then that's just really regressive for humanity at large because yeah. now you're going to say, I can't use a laptop. Yeah. And now here's the problem, right? So if you say I can't use something, then you forget that like innovation is not boxed. Yeah. The laptop might be invented in China, but it's gonna probably be developed and based in another country as well. Same mm. thing with cell phones, same thing with radios, with TVs, etc. etc. It might be invented in this particular country, but then it goes to another country to get better in by those scientists, those inventors in those countries as well. So it's a point it's a useless point to make to be quite honest. But that's the movement that we have today. That's the day and age that we're living in, man. Yeah. It's like everybody's trying to jump on the bandwagon of being progressive, right? Yeah. Progressive about stuff that we don't even need to be progressive exactly. about. Exactly. Right? Um, and, you know, I think uh, I, I, there was this one movement that I was like, ah, I actually like this. Because it started as a, as a meme, right? People, especially Americans, would try African cuisine. And then they'd be like disrespectful to it, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this sucks. They wouldn't like pop and stuff like that. But obviously it's going to be weird if you haven't eaten it before, right? So yeah. you have to appreciate exactly. like, right? You may not like it, but I mean, that's somebody's food. Exactly, right? exactly. Right? I have a baby. She's She turned seven months yesterday, right? So she's been trying like foods for the first time, you know, like normal food that like adults health. Because she's been typically like having milk and baby cereal. So when you'd feed her like, Say an avo. She had an avo the other day. She didn't like it. Because she's a child. She's never had she's never had avo before. So imagine if she said, I don't like avos. I'm never having avos again in my life. I just have no formula and baby cereal until I die. Would it make sense? No. no. But then through time, you learn to, to acquire some taste. Some taste you do acquire, yes. Some taste you don't. And it's absolutely fine. Yeah. But if you don't like something, it doesn't mean that it's absolutely wrong because you don't like it. Exactly. And that that's the thing, right? They, they may be trying to like try this and think, but you don't be disrespectful to somebody's exactly. culture. And that's where it stems from. And that's why there's this movement that's saying that people, um, black people in America shouldn't call themselves African-American. They're yeah. black American. Exactly, yeah. Because they, they they've never been to it. And it's like, you know, as a South African, I say like, everybody's like, yeah, we want to come back to the motherland. 
fuck you, you can stay there. Like, you, you, you are American, right? Yeah, yeah. And this whole thing of, like, again, we're taking a chance and apologies, but then you just have to go down this rabbit hole right now because we're in here already. This whole thing of being African-American, being African or American, whatever the case might be, it's really a moving target because mm. if you say African-American, right, and you say you want to come back to Africa, what are you doing to kind of fertilize the soil you want to plant exactly. on? Because you can't just move back for the sake of moving back. Yeah, yeah. You have to first fertilize the soil you want to plant on. And what are you doing to fertilize the soil you want to plant on? Mm. But there's also this like movement that like, you know, Americans telling Africans how to be Africans. Yeah. You, what what do you know, <laughs> right? And I mean, like they're like you, you must see all the hate for like, especially white South Africans get. They're like, oh, you know, from Africa. Listen here, you don't know Africa. Uh, we have people from all colors. Uh, uh, uh. Like, how do you tell somebody what what they may or may not be? Exactly, exactly. Uh, like, if you're born there, that's that's where you're from. If your history is there, I mean, if I had to sit through home affairs, a South African home affairs, I am South African. Exactly. Clear and cut. Exactly. They 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 don't know the struggle. If you have, if you've been through one load shedding, that makes you sound exactly. Exactly. Like, our greatest exports. Our, our thing was right. As diverse as fucked up as South Africa may be, right? We're diverse and we're accepting. Yeah. I mean, we have eleven official twelve, including sign language. We have twelve official languages. Yeah. We really don't care as long as you bring good, especially in Cape Town. As long as you bring good vibes. Everybody will accept it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I think, you know, where in America they're trying to be so while they're trying to be inclusive, they're being exclusive. They're exactly. cl- shutting down. This can only certain people can do this. Only certain exactly. people Exactly. And that's bullshit. Because uh, how do you evolve as a humankind, right? Exactly. And that's the point all put right there, right? Because before we started remember so there was this whole monopoly thing. So so if you're not aware, some changes are coming to monopoly. They're gonna make some changes in terms of Monopoly the, the game. Monopoly the game. Not monopoly in terms of like actual economics and markets. Monopoly the game. So they're gonna make some changes to the cards, you know. So it won't be now you win, you win a pizza contest, you can go to a vacation, and all these other cards are on Monopoly. But now you'd have a card where it says you can eat local for a week, you can take care of a shelter for a week, etc., etc. And all these movements point to how one block of society is trying to change all of society to make it and reflect its values. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Because now some people can't go on vacation. I can't go on vacation, I'll be honest, but then some people can. Leave those cards for those people that can actually go on vacation. Some people do actually win beauty but, pageants. Leave those cards for them and create the monopoly conscious. The second it's, coming. It's you said you may not go on a vacation right now, but I mean you aspire to go. Exactly. I mean, are we gonna take away stuff? So, for example, uh, are we gonna tell kids that look, yeah, there's no point reading about that astronaut thing because you can't be it. Are you trying to like determine people need to be experienced? To see that there's something above that you work out of your circumstance exactly. towards something, right? And I think I hate being one of those people that say, "Oh fuck, the world's gone soft," but we are going getting softer. Yeah, right. True. Everything has to be. Uh, everybody wants part- participation medal. No, yeah. you have to work for your thing. Yeah. I mean, you look at us, right? It's people say like all these people on Twitter and so forth, right? Everybody with a social media account, they think they're expert in politics and stuff like that. Yeah. We have master the degrees behind us and we're trying to push forward. We can say we're the experts, but like everybody has an opinion, right? Exactly. Because talk is cheap, that's the problem. But you see, 
there used to be a time where you used to talk with facts. Exactly. So, like, I see a point, oh, uh, the North Stream's being built, then I argue about that. I see where you got, and then you're like, oh, shit, I didn't realize it was an actual thing. You know, that's how you beat people. People beat pe- try to beat people with their opinions now. Like, exactly. your opinion means something. Exactly. And I think it's just, like, the whole world has been taken aback by the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know. They, I'll loosely try to explain the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I, in some parts it reads that, you know, people are competent, always believe that they need to know more and mm. try to better their knowledge, whilst, you know, the guy who knows nothing, believes he knows everything, and mm. then he's always quick and he's very confident in how he presents his knowledge, quote-unquote mm. knowledge, about what he thinks is the right thing and the wrong thing. And that's the problem right now. We have these platforms that allow us to just easily spread our opinions. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, etc., etc. And now any random Joe feels like they know everything about everything. And you can't. You can't be a jack of all trades. Mm. It doesn't work. The saying says, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm. And that can't be more true than in the 21st yeah. century. It can't be more true. Yeah. And those are the problems you face right now. But, right, we've taken quite the the tangent right there. We've gone, you know, we've gone wayward. And that's, you know, the but, trap of the left. But that's the problem, man. Like, I find it hard, like, you know, especially for us, right? We need to stay active and see what's happening on society for our studies and so forth, right? And yeah. I can't help but get angry the t- every time I read the news or look at social media, right? Yeah. Because I'm like... The stupidity of people, right? Yeah. Everybody has opinion. And like, I, I get you need to live your life. Everybody must live their best life. I, I don't care. But if it affects me, then I'm going to get irritated about it. Right? Monopoly. It's, it's a game. It's a game. And you know what? It, I, maybe, maybe I'm thinking too deep about this, right? But it's a... It's almost like a capitalistic thing and all the socialists are like, no, there's too much capitalism right there. Exactly, exactly. Maybe they want to come up with a socialist game, but like yeah. everybody gets equal money and everybody just walks around a circle. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know. Everyone social- is poor. So what's the point of the game then? That becomes a question. What's the point of the game? Because the point of Monopoly is twofold, right? One is to have fun, which is like very clear. But the second part is to teach you how to make money and survive in a capitalist world. Yeah. Buy a property, get interest from your properties, your and, investments, etc. etc. Tax people. Exactly. It teaches the whole point of monopoly is to learn about life while having fun. Yeah. Then you're gonna have what now? The communist game called I don't know, whatever. Every time you go to hospital you get a free checkup. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good value like it's a good learning tool to see how the world works, right? Exactly. You wanna buy property, you wanna buy assets, and that's what you do. And then it goes to the cards, right? You're going to buy properties, you're going to buy assets, you're going to get tax, going to get interest, or you're going to get, you know, money from these properties, then you can go on vacation. You can win a beauty pageant. You can you not go to jail. You can go past the jail. But uh, what, why is vacations a big deal? <laughs> it, it, beats me, it beats me, man. It beats me. Because uh, it's not... Everybody has, uh, can go technically on vacation. I mean, you just don't go to work. Like, I mean, that's a vacation for most people. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you look at even like some workers that we have, their vacation is going to the Eastern Cape. Mm, it's, it's good enough for them. I mean, for all people, like they eventually take a thing that everybody, a large majority of people in South Africa either go take their vacations in Eastern Cape or so forth. Oh, to another, pro- the home province. The home province, right? Yeah. 
So, I mean, I don't understand why you'd ban that. It seems stupid. And it sets a precedent because every time we try banning something, then it pushes the freedoms back one step. Exactly. Exactly. And now, just just to try and use what you're saying right now to go back to where we started, right? The point of the US and China, right? Now, the US is a country whereby they're trying to please everyone, right? Mm. Monopoly, how they do their politics, they're trying mm. to please everyone, which in a sense now, because the constituency is broad mm. and the opinions of the constituency are weak, mm. so how you, how you present yourself and how you engage will naturally be weak. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, you have China. Mm. You know, they don't have a big constituency. It's just really the CCP. Yeah. And what they want to do and how they want to do things around the world. And what they say goes. Mm. So now you have a country that's steadily becoming weaker. Facing a country that's steadily becoming stronger as well. So now how do you, you, you balance, right? Because in part, having, having the US be... The world superpower is good because you know democracy, freedoms, respects, and whatnot, whatever that might look like in, in at times like that. Mm. And then you have China, mm. which wants to kind of create a new world order as well, in in, in a sense. So <clears throat> it's 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 a moving target to be honest. It's it's not really clear which would be best. Maybe should we create an order whereby there's more than one superpower? I think that might be a way out. Who but knows? There is more than one superpower. I mean, if you look at it, you could say that you every but every state that possesses nuclear weapons is a superpower. There's seven of them. Exactly. It it goes back to the whole economic factor we're looking at. Russia mm. is number eleven in the world, but they still have a voice because they have nukes. Mm. Yeah. But Japan is number three, but they don't have nukes. And look at where they are in terms of like being present on the world stage. Mm. See, but I think that's why you look at it like there's a there was a report out that China promotes education drive to make boys more manly. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Um, and you know, um, and they've suggested that young Chinese men have become too feminine. Ah, fuck, this is gonna get me cancelled. No, <laughs> Let's go. No, 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 fuck. <laughs> Just a disclaimer: all the views. Represented by the both of us, do not represent any uh, any institution that we are part of. Uh, their views are solely our own. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like <laughs> this progressive movement has made people soft, right? Yeah, and we're losing out on that. You know, it's it's hard, especially with the rising GBV and femicide and so forth like that. Right? Exactly, it's. Uh, it, there's almost like a constant attack on masculinity, right? And I, I get it to a point, right? I get, yeah. I understand that to a point, right? And maybe that's why the people are encouraging people to be more in touch with emotions, right? And speak about that. So I understand that, yeah. that part of it, mm. right? But I think it's quite fascinating how China, in a sense, have decided to tackle that progressive movement mm. by saying that boys need to become too ma more manly, you know, become the sports stars, right? Athletic and strong, like the military heroes, right? Yeah. And um, so it's interesting because I think if you aren't physically strong, right? Yeah. I'm not saying you have to have big biceps or anything, but if you're not physically strong, obviously you're going to take that out and you're going to become a total... A, a computer warrior yeah, yeah 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 right if you and there's more of this movement that everybody has their conversations their anger their debates their fights online but if you just sit down and talk to people then you won't have all of the sense 
sensationalism. Mm. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I know if I'm speaking. No, it, 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 it makes sense because in, in, in part, as you said, we get the point where we are trying to end GBV, right? But then we also understand also the point about equality because in essence, I think we'll deserve like equal pay mm. and equal, equal access to education and jobs, equal chances of prosperity, etc., etc. Fair enough, we get that. But then I don't get the point then where you want to overdo it because we we're not trying to make men become females. That's mm. not the point. We're trying to create a society in which men can protect females and then try to, in so doing, lower the rates of gender-based mm. violence. And now we've seen how in China, because let's take the military, right? So when you go there, you, you don't just learn how to use a gun, mm. how to be part of a team, how to set up a tent, how to sleep during war. You learn more, you learn values that Discipline. develop your character as well. And... You can leave the military, but you can't leave the values behind. Yeah, yeah. Those values are for life. Yeah. And right, if you use those values and you take them home with you, they'll make you a better person. Mm. No lie. No, 100%. Right? And then that's why, in part, we can see that this point of China trying to push this military manly drive makes sense because there was a report, I think, in January, which stated that most young men are starting not to join or don't mm. want to join the Chinese army. Because of now all these freedoms, availability of money, etc., etc. But now, where will you learn all these values? Right? Mm. It's, it's an important part of society, the military. Mm. So you need to have that in, in, in society to try and have those values move over and then find their way into general society as well. And you find like guys that are not part of the military embracing and living by the same values as well. Mm. And that's important as well. So I'm I'm not sure how cancelling Dr. Seuss as we saw in the US will help you know end GBV. But you know it's it's interesting that you bring up Dr. Seuss because you know Candace Owen, yeah yeah yeah, the conservative. She was like, okay, cool. So we cancelling uh we cancelling Dr. Seuss, right? Yeah. Right. But then we're allowing songs like Wet Ass Pussy and exactly. stuff like you that. Exactly. Get a to... bucket and the mop. It's a Pussy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how are how is that? I mean, that doesn't really promote the female equality and empowerment. Exactly. So exactly. Is it just because it's a black person singing the song that we can't? It's much better. It's not a problem. I mean, the Cat in the Hat is a legendary thing. I read that as growing up. It's. I don't know. It's I, it's it's yeah. It's it's interesting because. It's a moving target, first of all, right? And no one is quite sure on how to approach this whole thing. But I think that where you're going right now is not working for anyone, you know? Mm. And I think in, in part, all these cancellations, you know, cancelling authors that are dead, cancelling this, cancelling that, makes no sense. At one point, they were, quote-unquote, cancelling Abe Lincoln because he was racist. The man freed slaves. Mm. How was the man racist? Okay, maybe he had his stints, I'm not sure. But the man, in part, you could all agree that the man, he freed slaves. What else says I'm not racist in freeing slaves? But here's my thing, right? The, it's the US that keeps trying to perpetuate these these narratives and so forth and so forth. But they are their own civil rights movement and they've been oppressing black people for so long. So this is just like a corrective BEE kind of thing. Exactly. Is, is that what this is? Because it's far too late. I mean, if you look at right. They should view South Africa as a case study, right? With all the 
re, um, corrective policies that we've had? Have we gained any success? Exactly. Corrective yeah. policies don't work. And and that's the thing, right? We, we these policies in part are created by people who are not in touch with reality. Mm. You know, they just want to write a policy and then you know put it out there and then get into office again the following year, etc. But now the thing is, they don't work in reality. Look at BE, right? It only benefited a few people. I'd say less than less than two million people really made benefits about BE and stuff like that. So all these things, right? Dr. Seuss, counting Dr. Seuss, being worried about, you know, who can use what toilets and when and however. So, and also did see that during the week they're making some changes in terms of like how the US, the military codes, I think they're gonna start allowing pregnant troops. I might be wrong. I might have seen that incorrectly. I'm not how sure, think, quite sure. And I think that's that one's wrong. But I saw that, that they wrong, were, yeah. um, they were reducing the the female qualification uh, tests. So like the amount of pull ups that they have to do. Oh, the requirements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so women find it incredibly hard to do. I think it's called. Uh, so when you climb up a ladder, but then you have to go down the la- uh, the rope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with your legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, women lack the quad, I think the quad strength to do it. I may mm. be wrong, but yeah, that was something to do with that. Um, and so um, they were failing the physical test, not the, the written test or anything like Fair that. Fair enough. But now here's the thing, right? We have this country that's lowering its military standards. Mm. Uh, we have this country that's worried about Dr. Seuss. The country worried about, you know, things that are naturally mundane. And this country has nukes, mm. and most countries fall under uh, fall under the the umbrella of the U.S. You know, mm. Taiwan, etc., Japan, and we've seen how hostile China is being towards Japan, mm. but mostly Taiwan. That's the concern, right? So now, how do you expect a country that's worried about you know Dr. Seuss, worried about who can use a toilet, and all these other mundane things? How do you expect this country? to protect, to rightfully protect Taiwan. Mm. And there's a grave concern because China is encroaching day by day. Yeah, yeah. There's a grave concern. So what happens here? I don't know. You, you look at that, you know, at that summit, right? Yang uh, Chechi, uh, who's part of the foreign ministry, was just as blunt. I mean, he said, you Americans should watch your turn when you speak to us. The US mm. wants to speak to China in a condescending way from a position of strength. But the Americans better stay put out of our uh, internal affairs, namely Hong Kong and Taiwan, who will take strong actions. And it's he's highlighting the almost the double standards. I mean, America has a terrible record of human rights, especially in the treatment of your own black population, invading countries and slaughtering their populations. Exactly. China doesn't do that. I mean, you look at Australia's special forces just got interdicted because they were killing innocent civilians, right? Mm. You have, I mean, the millions of Jonah attacks killing innocent people. I mean, the standard is if you're uh, doing jumping jacks, they can bomb you. Yeah, really? drone strikes. That's the thing. He has to be military edge. So one anything above 1.6, mm. I think it's 1.5, 1.6. Yeah. If you do jumping jacks, bomb the motherfucker. Any military age male. Right? And so military you, age is 14, right? Yeah. They can bomb that. Right? And so, I mean, how... How can you speak about that, right? Exactly, exactly. So, so in a nutshell, they're saying that if you don't live in the US, you can't be 14 and fit. Yeah, exactly. Naturally, that's what they're implying then. Yeah. 
I mean, and that's they targeted. Uh, that's how they've been targeting all the people in the Middle East, you know. Mm. And you could make the case that uh, the over-securitization of 9-11 is the reason why there's a securitization of, the, uh, of um, terrorism now. I mean, that's why we're spending so much money on it. They over-securitized 9-11. And I mean, we're still using the legislation. The America is still using the legislation and laws, uh, the authorization use of military force yeah. of 2001 Both to uh, justify the continued attacks 20 years later. Where have we seen such a thing? You know, um, the legal precedent is gone. So, Yang Ji was right when he said, like, you shouldn't speak to us in a condescending manner. You are the ones uh, feeling the pain. And then, it, like, that ties in with this article in Business Insider um, as by Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davies. Right, um, and he says that U.S. officials who are ready to fight China over Taiwan don't understand how much is at stake. Right, um, U.S. Uh, uh, defense officials are increasingly warning of the potential for conflict with China over Taiwan. There is almost no way in which the U.S. could intervene in that conflict without devastating losses. Right, um, before but before the u.s gets into a crisis that brings it to the threshold of war or finds it stumbling into one policy makers and military leaders need to address some hard realities there's almost no scenario in which the u.s united states can successfully intervene in a war between china and taiwan that will not leave our country in far worse shape than it is right now a worst case scenario american territory could be struck by nuclear missiles right uh, in a tes- testimony before the Senate Armed Service Committee last week, Ad- uh, Admiral Phil Davidson, commander of the U.S. forces in the Indo-Pacific, warned that the Chinese Chinese military developments looked to him like a nation planning for war. Davidson added that he believed China would attempt to forcibly reunify Taiwan in the next years. To guard against this possibility, Davidson asked Congress to provide a whopping $27 billion in additional funding over the current defense budget. Right. Um, and the Pacific De- Deterrence Initiative as main objective is to increase the number of ground-based cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, and hypersonic missiles in areas closer to Chinese territory. And I mean, you know, that goes back to that whole... Uh, the whole cycle of weapons, right? Yeah. So if I develop uh, defense capabilities, you're going to think because you think I'm going to attack you. And then I'm going to exactly. do that because exactly. I'm arm myself better because you're doing it. And it's just going to be a constant cycle. The, the, the security answer, dilemma. The security dilemma, yeah. right? Um, I mean, in October, the U.S. Marine Corps completed construction on its new permanent base in the Indo-Pacific area since uh, its first since 1952. So... If you continue escalating, then obviously China's going to escalate. The more you encroach in their territory, the more they're going to retaliate, right? And um, they, they haven't given any reason to why they want to actually get involved. Almost entirely absent from the hearing was an, any explanation of what's driving the United States to elevate the risk of war by increasing the number of troops near the Chinese coast. Hmm. And that sums it up. As a freedom, freedom-loving democracy, the United States is a strong advocate for the independence and freedom of any people, including those in Taiwan. But to to that laudable belief must be added a willingness to assess the world in a realistic way. Yeah. Right now, 
both the United States and China are in a spiral which one side expands its capabilities of war for citing rising threats from the other, which each then offers as justification for yet more military spending and preparation for. It sums it up. It's a yeah. security, security dilemma yeah. all yeah. over again. You yeah. know? And I, I feel like they've forgotten the, the, the concept of mutually assured destruction. Yeah. yeah. It's very rare. I mean, the old cold war was surrounded, founded on the principle of mutually assured destruction. They realized they couldn't use their nuclear weapons, otherwise everybody would die on the planet. Exactly. So they Nobody went to proxy, proxies and the espionage and so forth. Yeah. We, this seems more blatant because you are encroaching on their territory. It's more direct. I mean, I got into a fight with TikTok, uh, with this guy on TikTok one day. Like, he was speaking about how the Viet Cong weren't fighting fair, right? Mm. Um, they they bombed, uh, conspiracy or not, they bombed one of the ships in the Gulf of Tonkin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so I asked him, so what? He's like, they bombed us unfairly while we were in their water. So I just asked, why were you in their water? Yeah. There you go. And here's the thing, right? It's a fight. Fights are not meant to be fair. Fights are meant to be won by one part or the other. That's the whole point of a fight. That's why you find that some guys choose to lift weights and have like, you know, the lifting strength. Some guys choose to learn martial arts and things like that so they can move faster. It's a choice. It's how you choose to fight. It's you. I mean, you look at it, right? Um, for example, the Viet Cong, they won. America lost the Vietnam War because yeah. they... Obviously, these people didn't have the vast economic resources the U.S. had. So yeah. they fought, they fought guerrilla style. With they fought the in the jungles. They fought planted, planted landmines. They, you know, they fought how they could, right? And exactly. The same goes to the critique of Afghanistan and so forth, right? They don't have the resources, right? They just have AKs, so they had to build IEDs, right? I'm not defending it, but I'm saying they fought with what they have, and exactly. you say it's not honorable. I mean, you are in their country. What, or do you think they're meant to just let you say, hey, come? Walton. I mean, you look at it, right? Afghanistan has never been conquered, right? Mm. The British tried, failed. Yeah. The Russians tried, failed. Mm. America tried, they also failed. So, like, America, Afghanistan doesn't want to be conquered and you keep trying to push the agenda. They don't want your democracy. It's And it's absolutely fine. And it's, here's the thing, right? Democracy might work in the US, it might work in South Africa and other countries, but it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. Mm. You know, mm. some countries might have, you know, a dictatorship and might, that might work for them. Some countries might have a different kind of regime, kind of sort of like Myanmar, sort of a mixture of a dictatorship and democracy in one. It works, it doesn't work, etc., etc. And if it doesn't work, then let the people decide. If it works, the people will keep it. It's that simple. Because we've seen a number of times... People have the capacity to enforce change when they want change to happen. Case in point, South Africa, apartheid. Doom. There you have it. So what more do you want? Exactly. And, you know, that's the thing, right? The US, That's why the U.S. has failed in so many of these wars, right? Because they try to prop up somebody that nobody nobody in the country supports. Exactly. Right? They did it in Vietnam. Venezuela? Right? Venezuela. They did it in Nicaragua. Mm. Um, they've done it... Iraq, Libya, Libya, Libya as well. Afghanistan, Syria. Um, wherever they go, basically. Wherever they go, yeah. they propped up somebody and the rest of the country is like, who the fuck who is, is this guy? guy? It's some puppet. Exactly. And nobody wants the puppet. That's why you almost see that, I think the beauty of Russia and China, right? 
they all they care about is their resources, right? Yeah. You see, with Russia, they were like Bashar was like, and even Gaddafi was like, listen here, we'll continue giving access. He was like, fine. And then when they wanted to overthrow, they just had to let Russia know, listen here, this is what's happening. I mean, the same with Zimbabwe, right? Yeah. Right. The top military leaders of um, Zimbabwe, right, when they tried to overthrow Mugabe, right, he first the previous week was in Russia. Mm. It's documented proof. Yeah, he yeah, went yeah. to Russia. He got the stamp of approval. Came back. Okay, cool. As long as our deals with Russia continue, they don't care who's in charge. Exactly. Right. And I think that that's the type of you know they talk about management styles, laser fair, and so forth, and. I think that's the approach that China have. They have a hands off thing. Whatever happens in your country is your business. Your business, right? But look here, we just want our assets and resources. But I mean, occasionally you see a overstretch. I mean, you look at when the Dalai Lama tried to come to South Africa, then China was like, "Listen, don't give this nigga a, a visa." A visa, you know? Yeah. So it's uh, that was a bit of you know, of them a bit of them exerting themselves on us. So it's it's quite a number of moving parts and. It's 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 an interesting topic. I think we can talk until you know the sun goes down and comes up again, because there's there's so many things that are linked to this. You know the issue of Taiwan, the issue of because Taiwan in itself, you know the issue of protecting Taiwan, given the state of the U.S., mm. given the state of the nuclear umbrella of the U.S. Right? Some people are saying that Joe should not be given the codes for the nukes, given his <laughs> given his given his mental state. But you'll probably forget. Like, is a missile coming? <laughs> What's the code? <laughs> Who has the codes? So there's the issue of Taiwan, right? And then we also sp- spoke about the the issue of the implications for private business, mm. whereby we spoke about how Huawei and Tesla have been affected. And then also the issue of forced labor in, in Xinjiang, right? Where they, yeah. they're using Uyghur Muslims. And we also spoke about then, then how that relates to the point of how Apple manufactures mm. in, in China and in parts. It's been said that, you know, Apple has been using some slave labor in in China apparently so that also has implications then again for for private business so there's quite a number of moving parts and it's it's really hard to pin down I have a question for you right yeah the, these continued tensions with China what if China just decides listen hold up oh you want to sanction you know you want to sanction us fine go for it right yeah okay cool nobody exports to the USA what happens exactly and and you see that's that's the thing right we it, it's no there's no clear winner there's no possibility of anyone winning this particular trade war it, you you can only lose you can lose jobs growth you can lose innovation financial progress etc etc because you can't you can't choose you can't choose one of the two biggest markets in the world you have to you have to export your resources your your assets and whatever mm. you're making and whatever goods and services mm. you can produce you have to send them out as much as you can because you need to increase your gdp by as much as you can yes but war doesn't seem like it's going to be because either one either both sides are going to say listen okay cool there's all going on we don't need to trade anymore exactly so so then everybody's going to suffer between those two countries exactly and i mean the rest of the world is going to be like, okay, we'll still continue to use China. I mean, they've proven to be cheap. Yeah, exactly. Why? So it's fine. US, you want to kind of start your war with China? Everybody still needs to go there. Exactly. All our factories are in China. I mean, exactly. And you can't move the, them out in a day. Exactly. It's going to take years and years to eventually move everything to Vietnam. The USA is going to struggle if it 
go to war because you can't tell okay fine you know there's various allies and stuff mm. like that right but fine the allies mean that we go to war with you fine but that doesn't mean that we have to lose out economically exactly so it's going to become like why must we fight the people that basically empower keep our economy going exactly exactly and you see that right there is where the devil is right because China has captured not only manufacturing but they've also captured innovation as well. They're the leaders in 5G technology because I saw a, an article, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, that stated that as much as the US has succeeded in making most countries not use China's or Huawei's 5G technology, but then Huawei now wants to cash in on Apple mm. and Samsung using the 5G technology because they've been forced to do so they've been forced out of you know using google play using us innovation for their cameras and stuff like that they've been forced to play this card because naturally they said initially they said anyone can use the technology with limited costs or, or, no, or no cost at all mm-hmm. but now they've been forced to start charging apple samsung and the game is gonna suffer not the guys at the top the guys at the, the ordinary guy, the guy who wants to buy an iPhone, mm. the guy who wants to buy a Galaxy phone, etc., etc. Mm. The people on the ground, they're the ones who suffer. And it goes back to what we said at some points on this episode. These policies are made without any regard for reality. And that's the problem. But you see, just to tie this all in a bow, right? Yeah. If you look at all the US's conflicts, right? They haven't been with countries that are actually global uh suppliers global leaders you know in powers yeah right they could go to war with russia because nobody really relied on them yeah nobody relied on russia i mean it's just Nord Stream now and maybe vodka but i mean (laughs) the thing is you you don't see russia as like this global um, superpower super, that can impose cannot, itself you, you, and your, no no but yeah. like e- economic wise nobody really relies on them yeah for yeah. the economy right whereas china everybody relies on them exactly and that's the thing right the u.s has always targeted countries that are lower right mm. they target north korea because they don't have the economy for it they're weak exactly well. they're always targeting these soft targets mm. you've never seen them decide to fuck with france or with or germany, germany or yeah. so, stuff like that you know you never see them fuck with those guys because they realize listen they, those guys are economic powers yeah <sighs> and if we you know i think that's the beauty of the old club boys club in the european union is that they if the U.S. attacks one of them, they'll all be like, because we neighbors, listen, we need to protect one another. We'll band there together. is stronger relations between France and Germany than there is between Germany and the U.S. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? And th- I think that's, I think the, like I said, the, the U.S. is biting into too many pies. Yeah. Because now they're fighting, as, as we said at, at some points, they're fighting on the ground in, mm. in the Middle East, in Africa and other places as well. They are fighting political wars in terms of diplomatic wars. They are fighting technological wars by trying to be the leaders of technology development. But then we've seen the rise of China, Singapore and other regions as well, and other Mm. countries as well. They are also fighting, you know, these proxy wars, these technological proxy wars, if we call them that way, by Mm. telling other countries not to make use of Huawei. Mm. Because that, in a sense, is a technological... is a proxy war that's technological and economic in a sense as well. So... It's, it's, it's quite a number of moving parts and it's really hard to pin it down. But as it stands, you know, I think the, the 
weaknesses of democracy are going to come to the fore because with China, she's going to be in power for as long as we, he's alive, I think. And then he just continue what he's doing now. Mm. You know, Biden's going to probably be gone in some way, shape or form in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's an interesting thing to look at. But let's just hope that to some extent, you know, these countries can restore, you know, economic relations. Because I think in that sense, or that case, the whole world wins because then, you know, the two economies, the biggest economies in the world are back on track, you mm. know, growing GDPs and stuff like that. So you can export and all those things as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I just want to leave you this before we tie this up. How do you see the, the Taiwan situation being handled? It's, it's a tricky one, but from what I can pick up, here's what I think, right? China won't invade Taiwan. The US won't have to respond to such a case because there won't be such a case in the first place. It's it's tricky. It's really hard to pin down. But I I I I'd, I'd confidently say that China won't invade Taiwan for the foreseeable future, as it stands. And I think because the US is continuously providing the or performing rather these freedom of navigation, you know, sales in the South China Sea. I think that in itself might be enough to keep China at bay. And the fact that China, Taiwan, sorry, has been buying, you know, a large amount of arsenal from the US within the past five, six years also shows that, you know, Taiwan is building the necessary capabilities as well. Mm. But then, worryingly as well, is the fact that, you know, China has been performing this shadow war on, on Taiwan, whereby that. So there's this thing now. What's it called? I think it's called the gray zone warfare. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, it's called gray zone warfare. I think, whereby China will send a number of their fighter jets to Taiwan, mm. and then Taiwan will scramble some jets, scramble some na- some naval you know power to try and respond, but China won't attack or do anything. So as time goes by, you'll be depleted. Oh yeah, right. It's, it's the boy they will shut the roof. Exactly. So as time goes by, you'll be depleted. Right, yeah, yeah. and then when it's time for, for me to actually attack attack you, you've got yeah, 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 no no yeah. form of response. Yeah, yeah. So that's what China's been doing. So it's it's really you know, it's 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 a moving target as well. If that's I could call it that, clever, because actually. exactly because you now you have you have gray zone warfare, which points to the fact that China's China's actually trying to deplete the resources of Taiwan, but then you actually you also have this point whereby the U.S. is sailing the South China Sea. So here's my question: Do you see? Do you foresee that that gray zone warfare could actually occur? So like, what's stopping China from just saying, "Okay, take one fighter jet, circle the U.S. thing, if they attack, because they are in our waters." Exactly. So we could also send an like ship. provoke, provoke. Exactly. You know, I mean, these you know, Bay of Pigs. You look at Gulf of Tonkin. They put those ships and those uh, those attacks in place to provoke Cuba. They wanted Cuba to retaliate you know yeah yeah the, so, the bay of pigs so what's to stop china being like okay let's use your tactics right let's use your tactics Attack exactly us. exactly so um it's 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 a difficult one but i think because they are both quite aware of the mutually assured destruction i think that's what's stopping both parties from from actually going you know and being at war it's like the same thing that happened when a Russian jet flew over the Pentagon. The U.S. didn't retaliate because destruction is assured. Same thing with China and the U.S. Mm. So I think the nukes here, our friend, you know, that assured destruction. That's what I think. Yeah. 
it's, it's going to be interesting, you know. Um, I feel like, I don't know, maybe somebody just needs to give Taiwan a nuke and then be like, here you go, just keep that in your pockets in case you need it. I mean, I think that would stop the whole thing. I think so. <laughs> but now you see... But, they, but then, you know, they're so close. Just bring up the map, the China-Taiwan. Because right. how close is it? Because it's if, literally if you, an island of China. If if you launch a nuke, then you're both getting hurt. But I exactly. mean, how, it just depends how steadfast they are in not being conquered. Exactly. Yes. Rather, China, yeah. rather Taiwan is a stone throw away. Rather throw a stone and see what happens. Throw away. <laughs> I mean, the fallout is uh, what's what's the the nuclear fallout of a bomb? It's 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 it would be big because now remember it's it's unlike back in when when the U.S. bombed Nagasaki Nagasaki yes when the U.S. bombed China sorry Japan because remember those those capabilities were limited yeah, yeah, yeah can yeah, you yeah. imagine how many how the distance between now and then yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's 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 quite something so personally that's why I say I don't see the China actually invading Taiwan because the US has blatantly said, clearly said that we are willing to engage should it be a case whereby we need to protect Taiwan. Yeah, but you were getting China also as allies. Like, nobody talks about that. Yeah. Because from what I can see here, right, at the shortest point, the distance between China and Taiwan is only 110 kilometers. Which is the range for most missiles? I, I don't know. Maybe with some economic cooperation, maybe. I think so. I I, I, I think we just try to have to find a way that that will favor both the US and China. Mm. Because yeah. to be honest, you know, China has, you know, leached off the American economy. They've mm. used the American economy to, to rise up. And then you just have to try and find a way then to try and balance those books whereby it's not just one party benefiting from the economic relations. But check quickly. Does China own the South South China Sea? Like that sea around Thailand, Taiwan? It's it's claims. It's claims. That's why they've been building islands. Those those reef islands. Right? Okay. Because whether you like it or not, the USA don't really belong in the South China Sea. I mean, South China Sea kind of sums it up. Who sees it? But you see now, that's the thing, right? It's all those limits in terms of freedoms of navigation and stuff like that. Let's check out this map here. Because I know you own, what's it, 50 miles off your coast. I think it isn't like a, so many miles because there's the South China Sea, right? So countries close by include Cambodia, Vietnam, Taiwan. Taiwan is literally the closest thing to China. There's the Philippines, there's Brunei, there's Malaysia. There's Singapore, Indonesia's close by as well. This whole South China Sea thing is tricky because now it's a limited stretch of water with so many countries close mm. by, as you say, Taiwan, Philippines, Brunei, Malaysia, Indonesia, and all these other countries, right? Cambodia, Vietnam, etc., etc. So, to, to some degree, the US can navigate those waters, they can navigate the Indian Ocean and other oceans as well. So, so too can China. But the thing is now, the context, mm. the context under which you are navigating. Because you haven't seen China navigate towards the US uh, within their waters or close to their waters and saying it's freedom of navigation. Yeah. So, 
there's unfortunately there's no clear answer to say this is the end goal. We can only speculate because we all know that reality is quite different from our thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And if we could tell the future, then we'd probably be rich by now. Hundred Yeah. Man, uh, you know we could talk about this forever. Yeah. Like I said, but I think we should start wrapping this up. Um, to everybody else, uh, we yeah, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, we're working on a we have a couple of exciting, um, interviews coming up. Um, just trying to work out logistics, so times and dates that suit everybody. But we'll be back, and that should be really good. Um, follow us on our social media and um. Yeah, our email is questioningcommission at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Quinto, any last words? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think having the whole conversation in person is much better than, you know, using some digital means, Skype or Zoom, whatever the case might be. But yeah, guys, enjoy the week. Hope you enjoyed the episode and stay safe. Don't catch COVID or you can take one of the 6,000 jobs. It's up to you. Bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys, take care. Cheers.